welcome everybody into the I Want to Know podcast. I'm your host, Greg Jones, and I'm the one leading you on this inquisitive departure into audio wisdom. Joining me today is private investigator Ed Opperman, president of Opperman Investigations, Inc., which is a private detective agency, also president of Accurate Information Recovery, a computer and cell phone forensics company. He is also the host of the Opperman Report, which you can get at oppermanreport.com or on iTunes, and he has a brand new Twitter, at Opperman Report. And it's O-P-P-E-R-M-A-N. He's been involved in many high-profile celebrity cases and was on the very cutting edge of technology when he started working with cell phone forensics. Before I get into Mr. Opperman, real quickly, I want to first thank you guys, the listeners, for listening to the show and telling your friends about I Want to Know. It's how the word gets spread about the podcast. Also, I want to make sure you guys know about the guests section of IWantToKnowShow.com. There, you will find all the links for each guest including links to Mr. Opperman and all his services and podcasts. But enough about that, without further ado, private investigator and host of the Opperman Report, welcome to the show, Mr. Ed Opperman. Hey, Mr. Greg Jones. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> this is very formal. I should put on a tie. <laughs> I have my bow tie over here. What about you? <laughs> no, I got a t-shirt. <laughs> it's uh, it's a Sunday afternoon for me. I don't know about you. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm barely dressed over here. But, uh, all right. Just enough to connect, conduct an interview. Uh, I must say, you sound very New York. Am I accurate? I, I, I used to have a very thick New York accent, believe it or not. And uh, I've lost it. <laughs> oh, this, <laughs> yeah, is, this is the loss of accent. Yeah, I was born in the Bronx and moved to Staten Island. Uh, so you can't get much more thick than that. <laughs> You're right in the thick <laughs> of it. Yeah. That's funny. Um, you know, you first emailed me and you said, I'm a private investigator. Do you want me on the show? I thought... Well, of course, because, you know, being a private investigator is one of those jobs as a kid. It's like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a detective. You know, it's that's, you know, it. That's one of the cool kid jobs. And you've done it. How did you get into this field of work? You, you know what? Uh, especially when I was a kid, there was a lot of TV shows every week that had PIs on it. Mannix and Canon, you know, and all these uh, PI shows. Sure. Uh, you don't, it's not as much lately. You know, people think of, uh, you know, of course, Jim Rockford. You know, he's my favorite. Uh but nowadays, people think of Magnum P.I., like the young kids today. Right. How I got into it, well, I was, uh, I was, I guess I got into it because I was like a political activist. I was on the outside of the law as a young man in my teens. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were, I was with the Yippies in New York City. I became a Yippie, a Lower East Side political activist group with Abby Hoppin and all those kind of characters. So we were always kind of looking over our shoulders, you know, our phones being tapped, you know, those little kind of COINTELPRO kind of double agents and provocateurs amongst our midst there. And uh, so I just I was uh, accustomed uh, to this kind of skullduggery type of lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, what happened was um, I stumbled onto this situation where I had a source in the phone company in New York City. This is back in 1979, 78. And... Uh, all I needed was a phone number. If you gave me a phone, let's say you're looking for somebody. Greg Jones wants to find somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you give me the phone number. If it's an unlisted number, it doesn't matter. I could get, I could give it to my source on the phone company. I can get a name, an address, a bank account number, a social security number. Uh, sometimes a work phone number would be on there as well, along with all of their long-distance phone calls that they were making from their home and their local usage numbers too outside of their local uh, exchange. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was like gold. That, you know. <laughs> yeah. Especially back then. Right. And it was way before identity theft. You know, my God. I could be living in the Cayman Islands right now. <laughs> you know, we knew about that <laughs> stuff. I could owe this. But we didn't. But the information became, you know, I was able to broker this information as an information broker to uh, lawyers and private investigators all over New York City. And I, it was such valuable uh, data that I made a big name for myself right away. And that's how I fell into the PI business. I started working out of this guy's office in, in, the, in Brooklyn there, in Bay Ridge, who was an organized crime uh, defense private investigator. And he was working on some of the biggest cases uh, in the country at the time, the Pizza Connection case and the commission trial and the Carmine Persico uh, case. And so I was there for all of that. Wow. So did you, I mean, did you ever get into any trouble? And I don't mean trouble with the law. I mean, you know, did people you were finding things out about find out who you were and come after you? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, listen, it's, you, you run into problems in everything you do in life. I'm 53 years old. I've had a long life and you make a lot of enemies in life, you know, and you make a lot of friends too. And uh, I owned a nightclub in Manhattan, so I was uh, in trouble with the law. <laughs> you know, we got kicked out of that and run out of town, you know. <laughs> 
I call that a little bit of trouble, you know. So yeah, you know, you got your trouble, you know, and and uh, you're trying to keep your hands clean and not make too many enemies. Uh, there was one occasion, my God, uh, we had done some bug sweeps for this guy because the guy's office I worked out of that was one of his specialties to do a counter surveillance and do sweeps for bugs. And he found the bug in Paul Castellano's basement, which is a big famous case back in New York. And it was this guy who uh, I remember he had paid Thomas Puccio. He was facing murder charges. And he paid, he paid Thomas Puccio, who was a big lawyer back then, uh, $15 million uh, to get him out of this, these charges. And he, he got a sentence of 15 years. And for him, that was a great deal because, you know, he murdered all these people. Yeah. And so he, went, he came to the office one night and with his guys, and he wanted to know why we didn't find the bugs in his house. How come we couldn't do it? He paid us all this money. What's the, you know? And that was a pretty scary for those days. And, and so there were bugs in the house that you guys weren't able to find? Or yeah, we didn't find them, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I was eating a sandwich. I was busy. <laughs> <laughs> Got things to do. Got TV that day. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, uh, I have a question here from a listener that pertains to you being a, a PI. Um, Listener Daniel wants to know, have you ever met, you're going to laugh at this, have you ever met Dog the Bounty Hunter? Yes, I have. Really? And how is he in real life? <laughs> okay, I didn't actually meet him, but I was in, you know, we were right next to each other. You know, I didn't actually talk to him or anything like that. He's, in real life, he's short. Uh, he's, uh, he's about <laughs> five foot. You know, he's a really short guy. Wow. Yeah, and um, he wears these big giant boots, and the back of his hair, he has a big giant ball spot in the back of his head. Oh, really? And, yeah, <laughs> and that the way his hair is combed. <laughs> to cover that, and then there's thick hairspray, uh, <laughs> and you could smell the hairspray from like feet away. Yeah, he come, he used to come down before he was on TV. He used to come down for the um, the bail bondsman convention here in Vegas because I live in Las Vegas now. So right. a lot of big shows and seminars and stuff come to town, and uh, I like to go visit them and stuff. So yeah, that, that's hilarious. He sounds like a walking fire hazard. <laughs> right, I could imagine. I bet. Oh, that's that's great. Well, listener Daniel, I hope you're uh, you enjoyed that. Um, so you've been involved with some huge cases. I mean, Anthony Weiner, Char- Charlie Sheen, George Zimmerman, Tiger Woods, the Clinton email scandal. Um, you know, with the presidential election just around the corner, maybe we can start with president or not president, but uh, Miss Clinton. What was your involvement with the email scandal? No, I have no involvement, no personal involvement with the email scandal. Uh, nothing. I wasn't directly involved in that one at all. The other ones I was involved in. As a matter of fact, for a while there, I was I was every twenty four hour news story I was involved in. Just I just got mixed up in it, <laughs> uh, you know. With the Clinton email scandal, though, uh, I gotta tell you my opinion on that because I'm a digital forensic investigator. Yeah, uh, you, let me tell you, man, uh, I cannot understand how she's not being charged, uh, and I, I do think she will be charged um, because that is really sensitive data uh, that she can be getting away with this. I and and the, the Clintons too, if you look at their history. They're so concerned. If you listen, go back and find the transcripts of him talking to Monica Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was so concerned about the Israelis spying on him. He thought the Israelis had the White House phones tapped. Uh, so I believe that the reason why they had this private server was, one, to avoid the Freedom of Information Act requests, which are now worthless against anything she did uh, at the State Department because we don't have access to any of that information. Right. Which is a crime in itself. My God. But I think they had their own server. Because I think their own server was more secure than the State Department server. I think there's a million holes in the actual State Department servers. Well, yeah, people brag all the time of being able to hack into different government things. So that wouldn't be surprising. You know what? It's not even hacking. It's a human compromise. You get, you get humans in there. Like a lot of the stuff, people, these big hacking cases that people talk about, like the Sony hacking case, sure. wasn't hacking at all. That was, that was human informants in there. Uh, also, the case, too, with Ashley Madison. That wasn't hacking. That was a, a former employee. Uh, oh, really? So, oh, yeah. Oh, I could tell you. I've been fighting with Ashley Madison for years. <laughs> <laughs> I invented a search. Oh, my God. Way back um, around 2004, 2005, I invented a search where I could take an email address and trace it back to any online dating website. Okay. And I can, you know, find out what site it's registered on, catch people cheating online. Right. So when Ashley Madison came along, you know, I just did my normal little little trick there to get in there and, and see if they're registered. And these little dating sites would hire me under fake names to see if I could penetrate their site. So I went back and forth with Ashley Madison for a year where I would get in and they would change their system and I'd get in again. And they would change their advertising because they used to advertise that there was no way you could get caught. And then after they would hire me and see they got caught, then they had to change it. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Wow. I was going back and forth. It was like a whole year of a, like a, they were hiring me every week with a fake name, you know? <laughs> That's hilarious. So why don't they just hire you permanently at that point? That's a good question. You know, I don't know. It's, who knows? Um, all right. So, so with the Clinton thing, I mean, I don't, you know, yeah. assuming people know a fair amount about the scandal, they had their own email servers. It wasn't going to the government. And so the government has no records of emails. Now she turned over like 40,000 emails, but also admitted to deleting like 32,000 emails. Um, talk about the Freedom of Information Act. At the time when she did this, it wasn't technically illegal, but it was kind of being requested upon her not to do this. Uh, what, what kind of things could she be charged with? Well, specifically, uh, there is – I know there's at least one email where she specifically directs an, a State Department employee to take top secret email and turn it to, into unpaper. It was a fax and told him to retype it into an email. Now, she's directing this guy to commit a crime, uh, to, to, to breach the, uh, the, the, the top secret uh, laws and regulations. So that, that's serious stuff. That's yeah. serious stuff. Yeah, and her defense seems to be uh – it wasn't top secret at the time. Doesn't matter because the server. Uh, it, no, in fact, that one was top secret. That one's actually marked top secret. You know. Oh, okay. That uh, the, the the State Department communications to breach that secrecy. Uh, that's 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 no good. You know. Any, if it listen, I can tell you right now. If it was me, I'd be in jail right now. I have no doubt about it. Um, even just like when people send us cell phones and hard drives. If we find any kind of um, child pornography on there, or any kind of a, like a a plot to commit a murder or something like that, you have to report, you have to take that right that minute and take it down to the nearest police station, turn it in. So when all this came up, you know, I says, hey, you know, what would happen if I got a phone? Because I have gotten phones from uh, Department of Homeland Security and stuff like that. Sure. I says, what would I do if I found top secret information on it? So we, you know, I went to the email list and the news groups that were involved in with other digital forensic investigators. And I says, yeah, you got to contact the FBI as soon as you come on, you know, as soon as that comes up. Never happened to me before, but now if it did, I would know what to do. And she certainly didn't do that. Yeah. Now you're on the lookout for that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, they love to mess with you. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. So, it, I mean, is it just because of, of who she is and her status that she's not in more trouble over this? Cause everybody's response seems to be like, ah, oh, what's the big deal? I, yeah, I, I think that the Clintons are so powerful um, on such a level that it's just beyond imagination. Like more powerful than, than the office of the presidency, I believe, is one thing. But also, too, I think that uh, the Republicans made such a political game out of it uh, that um, everyone is just bored with it. Yeah, it's true. It's kind of that, overreported. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, all right, moving on from from Hillary Clinton. You were involved, correct me if I'm wrong, you were involved with the Tiger Woods cheating case? Yes, 100%. That one, I, yeah, I, I plead guilty to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that way, you know, I have another podcast. It's a sports podcast. So, you know, we reported the hell out of that situation. Um, that and, was. Oh, can I interrupt you one second? Yeah, Back please. Clinton for a second. Okay, I just had a, a guest on my show, uh, Sally Miller, uh, who was Bill Clinton's mistress back in the 80s. Um, and uh, she, she was, she's kept, she's, it's an exclusive interview. No one's interviewed this woman before in the last 25, 30 years. Uh, since Troopergate, she was, she was outed during Troopergate when Clinton's uh, state troopers came out and said, hey, Clinton's having all these affairs with these women. She was on that list. Okay. So she was contacted a couple of times and made some statements. She's done some uh, interviews with the Daily Mail, you know, that, that British paper. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this was her first radio interview. I just did it two weeks ago on Saturday afternoon. And she told me, I think the big blockbuster out of that story was that uh, Hillary Clinton had two abortions while she was married to Bill. Wow. Yeah. No one's ever heard that before. No, I'm trying. I, I got to get around to press releasing it, man. <laughs> I got no free time. Now, is there a way to like prove this other than her word? Well, it's, well she could take a polygraph, right? It, it's, well, yeah. uh, she's, she's saying it's true. Uh, it's just like any other story with the National Enquirer or whatever. You give them a polygraph and then you can print it. Wow. What was her name again? Sally Miller. Sally Miller on the Opperman Report. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Um, all right. Uh, back to Tiger, if you don't Sorry. mind. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that was great. Um, so, I mean, how involved, you know, did, did Elon, his, his ex-wife, hire you, or how did this work out? No. What happened was this. Um, the first, when, when the, the National Enquirer story broke, uh, and then the, the first mistress that came out was Rachel Lucatel. And she hired... Um, Gloria Allred. Right. So 
they got a great, nice settlement, okay? It was a ton of money, all right? So I've worked with Allred before. Um, and uh, what happened was all these other women came out of the woodwork saying, hey, I, I want a piece of the action, okay? I dated Tiger Woods too. So at the time, my agent, who was my publicist, my agent, she was famous at the time for being the, the agent for all the mistresses. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Because she knew All Red too. She did some work with All Red too in the past, you know. And um, so all these women were coming forward, and we needed they needed someone to vet them out who was really a mistress and who wasn't. So that became my job. My full time job was to vet out these women who claimed they dated Tiger Woods. So we would try and get phone records, we would try and get pictures, photographs, emails, whatever we could get. Uh, but the main focus of that was their cell phones was to recover deleted text messages because they would always delete the text messages. Of course. And the reason why it's, you know, everyone knows there were 15 mistresses. There could have been 20. I could have kept going. But it, it, I'm the one that just stopped at 15. I said, that's it. I can't say <laughs> it. I'm, I'm done with these women <laughs> and their drama. These are a bunch of nutty women, man. <laughs> I mean, how do you I – mean, do you need these people's names that you're going after or do you just keep searching for stuff related to Tiger Woods? No, they were coming to us. So, oh, hey, I'm a mistress. Yeah, and we were finding more of them had absolutely no connection to Tiger Woods whatsoever. We had to weed out the ones that were lying, just trying to get a piece of the pie. Right, which, which there were a ton. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of gigs. All these girls got gigs with Playboy and, and uh, stripper gigs, working out, you know, uh, websites. One, one of them, uh, she had a whole thing where she had a secret video of her and Tiger Woods, and it turned out the whole thing was fake. She hired an, act, an actor to, to pretend. <laughs> she, sold, she sold it to Bubba the Love Sponge. <laughs> oh, okay. when we, for those of you who don't know, that, that's uh, the Hulk Hogan sex tape also. Right, right, yeah, which is – that's kind of put a dent in things, man. If, if, uh, if they don't win that on appeal – because uh, there's a lot of money in that uh, celebrity sex tape stuff out there. Right, and that one was strange. I mean at the time of this recording, um, that, ha- that judgment was like two days ago, and the jury awarded him more money than he was asking for. And that's, oh. It was $115 million. Really? I didn't know that, that they – yeah, I know it was $115 million. I didn't know that was more than he was asking for. I think he was only asking for $100 million, and they said, no, you deserve more. <laughs> oh, boy. Which is crazy. But yeah, I, I mean my assumption you – know, I don't know how involved in these processes you are, but my assumption would be they'd have to appeal that because I mean, Gawker doesn't have that. They've publicly stated we don't have that kind of money and we're going to go bankrupt now. Yeah. yeah. I, I think they'll win on appeal. I can't imagine. It's a First Amendment issue, you know? Yeah, I get, except for the fact that no one knew they were being recorded. I mean I don't – What's well, a news story, and and I think he did. Well, the, the woman knew she was being recorded. In the trial, she said she did not. Oh, really? Okay, I don't know if I believe anything coming out of that camp. To tell you the truth, of either one, either either Hulk or uh, uh, Bubba. I, I mean, they're best friends, so I I yeah. totally agree with you. Yeah, from what I've seen in the past, yeah. Yeah, you didn't have any involvement in that case, did you? Nothing. <laughs> I, nothing I, no, I, did, I plead not guilty on that one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so what? Lord, we got a three-way call here at the lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> We call up Hulk, brother. Yeah. Uh, so what was some of the difficulties in weeding out these crazies coming out of the Tiger Woods shop? Um, their personalities. They, you know, I, I got involved in a couple other things, too. Like I had to uh, um, escort one of them to the Howard Stern show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially back around that time, it wasn't just the Tiger Woods thing. I used to get these calls at like 5 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, it's really interesting, too, because like these, these news stories, these 24-hour news stories, so many things get covered up, you know? Right. And, so you'd get a call in the morning. Okay, Ed, you got to go to this hotel, pick up this girl, take it to get a polygraph, find a cheap. Oh, that polygraph guy's too expensive. You got to find another one. <laughs> you know, you're, you're driving around with some mistress in your car, you know, from one polygraph to another. Jeez. Yeah, no, and then the, then the, the two mistresses can't sit in the same room with each other. They don't get along, and they're fighting with each other. Stuff like that. That was the biggest headache with Tiger Woods. So just, um, just catty and yeah, normal. I don't know chick stuff, if you will. Yeah, extreme chick stuff because these were high-paid uh, escorts, a lot of more escorts, you know, and uh, high-paid VIP hosts, Vegas, you know, type chicks, you know, very uh, – a lot of drama. Yeah, it's interesting because you talk about the 24-hour news story or cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it was really it's like, oh, this is a waitress from a cafe and this, you know, it was very much meant to – they built it up to be like a waitress and a, and a school teacher. Whatever. They didn't really focus on the fact that a lot of these were escorts. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, also too, you know, it wasn't publicized too much. You can find some articles about it, but it was really played down. Is that one of these girls he was with was a former babysitter for him that he met when she was like sixteen years old? Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, and you don't hear that at all. 
No, because that's really creepy. Right. <laughs> wow. It's, right. They want it to be a fun story, you know? Yeah. So I'd imagine uh, the Charlie Sheen case would be very similar to the Tiger Woods case. Um, in some ways, yes and no, because there was actual litigation in that case. He sued my client. My, listen, I'm no fan of uh, I, Tiger Woods. is kind of a fun case. Right. Charlie Sheen, I think, is a real dangerous guy. Um, I don't like him at all. And uh, my client was Capri Anderson, the girl who got attacked in a Trump hotel in New York City. Uh, she was I mean, a lot of people. This is with the girls like 98 pounds. This chick, small kid. Yeah. And she was locked in the bathroom. The cops show and she calls up for help. You know, she calls her friends for help. You know, they sent the cops over finally. And uh, when the cops showed up, the, the room was trashed and Charlie Sheen was naked, covered in blood. While he was on probation, this guy was out on probation for attacking his wife with a knife on Christmas Eve or Thanksgiving Eve. I think it was, it might have been Thanksgiving Eve. I think so. Colorado. Yeah, the guy had open charges. So, and it just. Mind-boggling. And, and uh, so he has, has a lot of stuff in his history, this character. Um, and if it was you or me, we would be under the prison. But he's got, he, gets <laughs> lot, he gets away with a lot of stuff, man. Yeah, I guess by, you know, hey, I'm cute and I'm on drugs. And, you know, it's funny. Look, you know, I'm, I'm insane. I guess that kind of helps push under the rug a little bit. I, I think there's a level, too, of uh, when you uh, you know things about other people. There's like the kind of little blackmail thing going on. And then he has a lot of money to, to really to buy people off, buy people's silence, to intimidate people. Uh, you know, there was a, a sex tape about him that was floating around, and, and the guys turned up missing for, for a, I don't know if they ever resurfaced. Wow. Um, yeah, oh no, yeah, there's a whole ton. You know, one, one of his ex wives got, got shot in the butt uh, in his house. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something you don't hear about. Huh? Oh, my God. And also, too, you know, Denise Richards, you look up their, um, their divorce paperwork. She's talking about he has child porn on his computer and he has uh, child porn on his cell phone. Uh, that threats, uh, threats about the, he's sending – he claims in, in a text message or, or, or she's sending an affidavit that he sent people into her parents' house to watch them in the middle of the night while they were sleeping. Uh, what? what? Yeah, dude, there's a lot of crazy stuff. Around that guy. And if you look at some of the people he hangs out with, you know, motorcycle gangs, and, and um, he talks about having his own mercenaries and stuff. Uh, he, with, with Brooke Mueller, there was a text. That, and this has been in the newspaper. There was a text where he said, I need cash to hire assassins uh, to go after uh, um, the guy from Two and a Half Men, the, 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 the producer, Charles. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that guy just goes deep. <laughs> you know, that's what it is. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there, man. And and if you really want to, you know, I don't want to say it, but look into the whole history behind Denise Richards and Heidi Fleiss and all that kind of stuff. It's, he's, he's around. He's been around a long time doing a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah, those hands definitely aren't clean. No, no. Wow, that's crazy. I, I didn't realize how, I mean, we all knew he was insane. It's Charlie Sheen and Tiger Blood and Winnie, but that's scary crazy. Yeah, but, you know, and it's so much what goes on in that Hollywood world is their PR agents and their attorneys because they, they can finesse everything, put a good face on it, and keep the, the money machine going. Yeah, and I guess if they didn't have someone to put that uh, nice face on things, then, we, then the public would get angry and demand you know, jail or, or whatever it ended up being. Then they may not be as free as they are. You would think so, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. I, I love all these cases you're involved in. <laughs> um, George Zimmerman, you were involved with that case. Yeah, I got again. That was for the media. I got involved with that for the media. Uh, you know, and it's kind of interesting too because I kind of inserted myself into that case, which uh, you can do too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and what happened was when it wasn't a big, big news story, I saw that uh, I heard the the nine one one call on uh, HLN. Right, and I says, "Wait a minute, there's something weird with this. That's not a normal nine one one call because I've listened to a million of these nine one one calls." Sure. So uh, I sent an email to the you know sheriff's department, I guess it was at the time. I said, you know, I want to copy the 911 call. So normally you get back a little standard form email back saying, well, there does not exist. So I got that back. But then he sent another one right away saying, listen, it's a 311 call, and it's, it's four minutes and 30 seconds long, and you got to hear this. <laughs> yeah. the? So they sent me the, the full 311 call. Now everyone hears the thing over and over about how he gets out of the car, and he's chasing him, he's doing all this. If you listen to the whole thing, 
Um, he's saying, you know, they're saying, well, you know, where do you live? What's your name? And he's saying, I don't want to say my name out loud. I don't want to say my address out loud because I don't know where this guy is. He could be sneaking around here. Please send the police. He was terrified in the rest of that tape. You got to hear it. Interesting. So it, it's not quite as bad as we all have no. been led to believe. You got to listen to the whole uh, four minute tape. Okay, the the three one one call. Okay, and there's a there's a lot of stuff. And plus, too, uh, he's not the only one to call the cops at night either. You know, because uh, another woman who heard footsteps and stuff out in front of her house uh, said, "Hey, man, it's pouring rain out of here. There shouldn't be any footsteps out in front of my house." She called the cops too. And then also too, a whole bunch of people called the cops after they started fighting, and they thought it was two black guys fighting. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I, t- I I did a lot of work on it. But ultimately how I, I uh, got officially involved, because I, I turned that tape over to HLN and they, they, I was supposed to go on HLN with that tape as a matter of fact. And they kind of um, took all my work and all my research and then blew me off and then used it to argue the Zimmerman side against one of his, that neighbor guy his that was defending him all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but how I got really involved in that, uh, where I was actually working, was for the media again. Again, the same agent that I had with the uh, – uh, the Tiger Woods stuff and the Ashton Kutcher stuff is that um, I told I had said, hey, how much – because remember when everybody was looking for Zimmerman and they didn't know where he was before he turned himself in? Right. And the media wanted to find this guy. So I said, well, how much – you know, I'll, so I'll look for him. You know, how much I mean, is it worth if I find this guy? He said, a <laughs> lot. You know, a lot of money. To find the guy. So he had just put out a website called The Real George Zimmerman. And what I did was I figured out by just by trial and error. What his email address was on that website because it was all hidden. You couldn't find it on his PayPal. You couldn't find it on the website. But I figured out what it was and I emailed him. And when he opened up the email, I was able to trace his location and find his location. But he turned himself in the same freaking day. Oh. I know. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> but that happens a lot too, man. You know, yeah. you know, a lot of guys too. They'll do these missing persons cases or these wanted uh, fugitive cases with rewards and stuff. And, uh, you know, bail jumpers too is another one. You, you, do, like, you do it on spec, you know, to find these guys. And then sometimes sure. you don't get paid at the end. That's what a lot of lawyers do. They'll take cases on spec. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because, uh, you know, I was in Miami probably a week or two after that happened. And it was, it was kind of weird. A lot of, te- you could tell there was a lot of tension. Um, we made friends with some guy who was from Miami and, and we were telling him we we're going to this one. He said, Oh, don't go down that area. Like it's really bad right now. Was this kind of a, uh, like a media spin to get everybody like on the side of, of the kid or. Yeah, that there was something weird with that for sure. Because, um, especially with my personal firsthand experience with HLN is, um, they were in shock and they didn't even know, they didn't even know where to obtain the full tape. You know, and they didn't even have the police reports that I had and the witness statements that I had. And they were reporting on this 24-7. So they had their own copy of their own script that they were going by. And even in the trial, for some reason, uh, they didn't put put enough emphasis that I feel they should have on the 311 tape, which if you listen to the whole thing, there's no this guy. There's no way this guy was the aggressor. He was. And he didn't even know the kid was black either. When he first makes the phone call, they says, is he white, black or Hispanic? He goes, well, I think he's black. Oh, yeah, and then he starts coming over to the – he says, yeah, he's coming over to the car to check me out. Oh, yeah, he's black. So he didn't even know – when he made the call, he didn't know he was black. So the whole race thing is out the window as far as I'm concerned with that case. I guess it's just – it's not a a big enough story if the race isn't involved. Yeah, yeah, because that's what – originally it was, hey, this white neighborhood watch guy attacked this young black kid and shot him. I don't know a black kid. But then when you see – he wasn't acting as a neighborhood watch that night. He was going to get lunch. He was buying lunches. He was going shopping at Target. And the other thing was is that he's not even that white. I'm, I think he's not white. <laughs> <laughs> Zimmerman's not a white guy. I don't care. You know? He was uh, Latino, right? Yeah, I'm Cuban. I don't consider myself you know, white, white, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Wow, that's, that's yeah. so weird. And, and what exactly is a 311 call? And well, that's one. Okay, 911 is when you call to an emergency line. But 311, right. if you have like a, a non-emergency phone call to the police department, they still record those calls. And it's still—it's like making. By the way, too, if you you know if you make a nine one one call or a three one one call, that's just like making a police report. There's a record of that. Right. So even if you just make a three one one call, uh, there's a record of that that you can pull up later on. If like if you've got a problem with somebody, you know, you make the call. If they don't make an official report, 
And then the guy comes and, you know, you get into a fight with him. You can say, hey, look, I called before, you know. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, off the air a little bit, you were talking about some of your involvement in the Palin case with her and her husband. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you said the crazies were coming out of the woodworks. Uh, what? First of all, what tells a little bit what you did for that case, but I want to know about you getting attacked by some of these people. Well, yeah, you know, it would, it would just be kind of like this. You know, you, you get invited on a radio show in, in Alaska, you know, yeah. and then next thing you know, you know, you're getting all these crazy phone calls and, you know, they're making these accusations, these allegations and stuff, you know, insulting me, you know, it was, it was pretty intense, you know, online comments about you and stuff like that, you know, uh, they, they, there's a lot of, uh, they had a lot of rabid fans and supporters, uh, the Palins. Totally. And I tell you something else too, their real life their real life story and their real life persona and their reputation over there in Wasilla is not – and now it's starting to come out. You see like all this drama going on. The son's getting domestic violence. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Todd uh, just crashed his snowmobile again. You know, the guy, <laughs> he's got DUIs. The, the, fam- the family has a bunch of arrests. Even the son who, who just did the domestic violence, the reason why he went into the military is because he had a case up there, some kind of uh, burglary case. Uh, oh no! no yeah, he, and uh, he was uh, sabotaging school buses on the school property, and so he never got arrested for it. But they said you got to join the military. And uh-huh. Todd had a sister or something, or a cousin with a meth lab. Um, <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh yeah, man! Listen, there's so much. And you know, there was just recently too where they had this big drunken barbecue where they got into a fist fight with another family. They they invaded their barbecue and started attacking people. It's like uh, Breaking Bad, Alaska. It really is. And, and the, the Palins, too, the way they got famous and became mayor of Wasilla. Wasilla is a tiny little town. There's like 600 families in that town. It's a tiny town. Yeah. And this is where she got her political career started in Wasilla, Alaska. You know? and, um, but they he, – because he was a, a, a snowmobile racer. He was like a hotshot rock star local guy and she was kind <laughs> of like a Hooters girl. <laughs> uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, beauty teen uh, queen contest winner, you know, pageant you know, attendee or whatever. Yeah. And, and, but they had like a local card game at their house for years and years and years. That was, you know, uh, this poker game. And there would be like drunken fights out in front of the poker game. And, you know, it's, so they have their local reputation is, is not what people think, you know. That's funny, and also funny to hear someone say "rock star snowmobile racer." That's uh, yeah, well, because that's what Alaska's like, you know. It's it's a funny little town. So, did her rise to I don't want to say power, but popularity and fame? I mean, did this basically just come on the fact that she was an attractive woman? Locally, yeah, they were both ambitious. Like I said, he he he's a rock star in that town. He still is. I think he's much more popular than she is down there in Alaska. Wow. Uh, yeah, he's a rock star uh, for his snowmobile racing, uh-huh. but. Uh, I think the way she got launched into um, the vice presidential seat is, um, you know, you know, my case involved uh, my client Shaley Tripp, who was a young woman who lived there in Alaska, uh, who um, had a special needs child, and she used to do these massages, as well as other little businesses. She had a little computer repair business and this little one bedroom apartment there. Okay. And uh, so she was doing, doing massages off a Craigslist ad over there in Alaska, and um, then she gave him a little happy ending at the end, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, and according to her, one of her clients was Todd Palin, and that uh, they established a relationship, and that he would also send other clients to her, and she would document the activity with these clients and then report it back to him. Okay, and if you notice, what happened was is that um, McCain sent out his campaign manager up there to Alaska, mm-hmm. and he comes back, and suddenly he picks a Sarah, Sarah Palin. So uh, possibly, you know, there could have been some kind of blackmail going on with that. And that's how they got that position. It's one theory. Interesting. Yeah. Um, because Shelley Tripp did pass uh, four polygraphs that were administered by ex-FBI agents for the National Enquirer uh, that everything she was saying was true. And um, the only reason I got involved in this was she wound up suing the National Enquirer. And I had to go in and find all the backing up the facts. Um, because, uh, after she got, she got the, she was negotiated with the National Enquirer, but then the police chief of Anchorage, Alaska, and they got a tiny little police department. It's like 600 cops. It's yeah, little, imagine. Oh, it's nuts. Anyway, he comes out and does a press conference and says, well, we've investigated all these allegations by this, uh, Miss Palin. And, um, 
we found, you know, we've examined her computers and her hard drives and her, her address book, and we've looked at everything. We've, we've got a fine tooth comb, and we can find no evidence that demonstrates she was ever connected to Todd Palin. Well, the only problem with that was is they came out later on and admitted, well, no, they didn't. <laughs> they never looked at anything. Right. They never looked at an address book. They never looked at a computer. They never did any work. They never did any investigation into these charges whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, they didn't even write the press release. It was written by Sarah Palin's attorney, and they just read it and put it out on their stationery. And that's all documented fact. Um, now, the thing you got to remember, too, is here's this girl. Okay, let's say she's guilty. I mean, she, she was doing the happy endings, right? Right. But okay, fine. 30 cops are involved in a Craigslist massage crime that 30 cops come busting into our apartment with uh, machine guns, FBI, DHS, Alaska State Police. Uh, all these cops are involved in this investigation. And they said to her, the first thing they said to her is, well, we know you're involved with powerful political people. We want you to tell us everything you know. So, and she didn't. She kept her mouth shut, like everyone should. <laughs> uh, on a side note, especially dealing with federal investigators, you don't talk to them without an attorney because one of their favorite charges is, is lying to a federal investigator. That, that's a serious crime. Uh, so you don't want to get involved in that. You always want to have an attorney when you're talking to them whatsoever. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, because that's a real jackpot, man. And especially, <laughs> too, if you, if you have a problem already, if you're already out on bail, not bail, if you're out on probation or parole, um, it, your odds of going back are so um, high. You really got to make sure because the things they – they love to get you for these forgery charges. You lie on a, on a, a bank application. You lie on a mortgage application and they, they, they pull that stuff up or you lie on your bail uh, application. You know, you're trying to get bailed out or you bail out your friend. You know, sure. that's defrauding an insurance company. That's a serious crime. And, it, and it, half the people going there are making up stuff on those bail applications. And, and is this just so they have, you know, if they can't get you for the main charge, at least they can nail you for half a dozen others? Yeah. And another one too is mail, you know, U.S. mail. If you use the U.S. mail for a crime, then they, they love to tack on that too. Let me tell you, the, the U.S. Postal Inspectors, right, there's a fascinating branch of the government, okay? Because you, uh, you or me, if we're a victim of a crime, and we went to them and begged them to help us. They won't do a damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get them to do anything. I'll, you know, I, I can get a bomb in the mail. They won't help me. <laughs> right. Right. But, but then when they're going after somebody, man, they'll tack on those charges, man. They'll tack on the wire fraud, mail fraud. They, they just throw that on. Now, is this the same case where the police took her computer but then never investigated at all and it just sat there in the police office? Or yeah. Uh, what happened was, like I said, so they, they, she had her charges. These were minor prostitution charges. She pled them out. And so when it was over, you know, I, I was hired to like uh, recover deleted emails and stuff like that uh, just to prove that her case was even true Yeah, and to, to coordinate things with the National Choir. Um, but then, okay, fine. Now we want all her equipment. We want her computers. We want her hard drives. We want everything. I'm going to look at it myself. Okay, send it to me. Sure. So, so um, then they start saying, well, we don't have it. And we got confused with another case, and we destroyed your evidence. <laughs> sure you did. I know. So we went back to the judge, and we said, you know, Your Honor, order them to return our stuff. This is important. We got a lawsuit here. This is going on. This is national security. This is serious business. So then they, they, the judge ordered them, and so we got back some of the stuff. And let me tell you this, man. Uh, the day that stuff came to my office— uh, what he called is the same day that Sarah Palin went on the news and, and announced she wasn't going to run for president uh, uh, the next time around, 2012. Well, that's same. some interesting timing. Yep, the same day. And she even mentioned my client uh, that night. And she says, oh, one of the reasons I'm not going to do this because all these crazy accusations from these people claiming my husband had an affair. And uh, so that too. So, but then later on, what really the kicker on that was is, uh, okay, fine, you know, everything goes on, right? Uh, life goes on. Yeah. Uh, one day I get a phone call. Uh, hey, Ed, did you hear about this thing with um, the Secret Service down in Columbia? That they were down there with the Obama and they went to this brothel and they didn't pay the brothel and they got the cops came and they got arrested. There's, I know that guy. That's one of the guys that Todd Palin sent to me and he did the same thing to me. He didn't pay me either. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, she used to say that all the time. She said, I hate cops because they come, they don't want to pay you. Of course not. So, um, she knew the guy's name. She knew his description. She knew everything, man, before any of this stuff was on the news. So I can confirm that personally. 
And we went back to all her address book and stuff like that. We did find his first name on. We found some corroborating information on there. Uh, uh, and then uh, so then there was a, a congressional investigation, uh, which I was part of, uh, to create exhibits for that. And uh, there was a congressional hearing. And the result of that hearing is that they did find more Secret Service. By the way, too, there was a ton of stuff they found in, in that investigation uh, that started about Columbia. But I'm talking stuff like uh, Secret Service agents having a dispute with their wife, um, custody over their kid, and showing up down at the daycare center in a full SWAT uniform, what stuff like that. Say? Yeah. Oh, man. So, and also, too, man, oh, my God, you talk about having problems. I, man, that was a, that whole – it was like a year-long process from the first time I met this client. And no one was helping her too. When, when I first met her, she was pretty much abandoned. No one was going to help her. Yeah. And I had to decide because I knew it was going to be a lot of headaches. I had to decide was I going to do this or not. I went to friends of mine. that were like pastors of churches and we prayed together. And only so very few people in the whole country knew about this story. So I decided I took it on. You know, I, I knew it was going to be risky. Um, I figured that I would have problems with like Republican – dirty tricksters and political hacks like that, and maybe right. IRS coming on me. Uh, what I found out was it was way deeper. My house was broken into. My office was broken into. Um, professional black bag jobs were done. Uh, my car was tampered with. I had people inserted into my life that were clearly, especially looking back now, just so obviously and so clearly, agents of foreign governments. I had never dreamed that for, agents of foreign governments would be interested in, in infiltrating in, in, into this story in this situation. I figured, yeah, the Republicans, you know, uh, you know, but not as, as, as deep as it went. I, I, that was probably the most uh, difficult thing I went through. And then uh, once we started going up against the Secret Service and uh, pretty much investigating them and, and for that congressional hearing and stuff, uh, then my mail, you know, they, they, they broke into our mail. Uh, I, I get so many packages of evidence from you know sheriff's departments and da's office from all over the country sure and uh this was the only time man it was a little pinhole prick hole and that envelope that they could stick a little pinhole camera in there and look around see what was in that package there's no doubt in my mind and then later on so i got involved with the guy from the radio show and when someone i was interviewing uh who was doing a show about the fbi uh surveillance on leftists mm -hmm. and he sent me a package too and that was just ripped right open you know there's only two times in, in a then I'm convinced that was a government surveillance. That's crazy. I mean, at that point, are you are you fearing for your life or? Yeah, you know, it's um, yeah, I was fearing for my life even before I went into it. I knew it was good, it could be bad, um, and then it's uh, it's a sense of betrayal too. You know, you got to, they met in your house. They put your dog. My they, they they drug my dog to get into the house. You know. I had to move my office uh, from a, we had a really nice office and I had to move to a really secure location. And it turned out that the rent was so high, you know, the whole thing, we got evicted from there too. <laughs> we went into partnership with these other guys and the, that whole thing was, a, so it was, it was a battle, man. This was a good year and a half long battle. Uh, that, and you know, it was a nightmare. Jeez. It sounds like it's, uh, you're glad it's over. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's, it's fun to talk about, you know, but I'm glad it's over. Yeah, I mean, in that case, I mean, with Columbia, even, you know, not even the stuff you talk about, like the guy showing up in a SWAT uniform to daycare, just the Columbia aspect of it, that stuff just kept rolling out, it seemed like. Well, you got to remember, too, see, when you hear that story, you think, well, there's a couple of funky Secret Service guys. No, these were the high-ranking guys. These were the guys in charge of that mission down there who were doing this, that were signing in prostitutes into their, uh, into their hotel rooms. And when you know, I got, I was involved with another Secret Service case too. I was involved with the Salahi thing with the White House party crashes. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You know that was all another thing. But <laughs> there were a couple of nuts as well. Yeah. But the thing is too is that um, there when I came across a lot of Secret Service misbehavior. You know, they, during the Olympics in Utah, they were having parties up there with seventeen-year-old, eighteen-year-old girls in their hotel rooms, getting them drunk. Again, you and me would be in jail for this. Oh, yeah. And you don't even hear about it. We'd never see the light of day. Yeah. That's insane. It is insane. The Secret Service is a, they're, they're, they're a fun bunch, man. They like to party. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're hard partying guys. <laughs> they like to unwind at the end of the day. Yeah. That's for sure. All right. Um, wow. Breaking our way from the high profile cases to kind of like your more everyday stuff what is what is the biggest request you get from clients 
Well, the one I like the best is, you know, they go to the website, they give me the email address, I trace back to an online dating website. You know, it's a nice simple report and then it's easy, quick. You know, I did all the work years ago. Sure. And so, you know, I, I invented that, you know. And then, then we can expand on it too. Uh, some Half of them come back and they say, well, because you, you, a lot of times a man especially, they're just signed up to these websites because they want to look at the pictures. They're not really cheating. Right. So we have all these fake accounts that we can contact them. You know, and these are aged accounts. So if they look them up, they, you know, these are very legitimate looking accounts. We contact them, you know, with a blonde woman, a redhead, or an Asian woman uh, to see how many, if we get a response from them and go back and forth. And that's pretty good too because sometimes uh, I, I have them call a, a phone number that's uh, it's called a trap line. It's uh, a okay. phone number that has call capture on it. So we capture their, it's always recording, you know, and we capture their name and their address. You know, even if they use caller ID block, we can unblock it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So they're calling numbers. Sometimes they're calling number like 10 times. Please call me back. Please call, you know, and they <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know? Real desperation. Yeah, so that I like to do. That's a nice, easy job. Uh, asset searches. I like to do asset searches because um, I have, a, again, see, a lot of my stuff is, is focused on emails and email tracing and identifying people from emails and tracing emails to, to websites. So with asset searches, I know a couple of little tricks uh, with email accounts that I could find. Uh, accounts that are linked to, to email addresses that other people don't do. And a lot of PIs nowadays don't like to do asset searches anymore because they changed the law uh, back in the 90s. See, it used to be so simple. All you had to do was, uh, first I would get your social security number, right? Your date of birth, your social security number, your address. You can get all that on the database for like five bucks. Sure. So I get that. Then I call up your bank and I say, hey, I'm Greg Jones. Okay, and I, you know what? I lost my statement. Can you send me another one? I said, oh, yeah, sure, Mr. Jones. But can you verify your social security? And you give them all that information, right? So that's how the, in the old days, how everybody would do it. It's really simple. Right. Uh, so, but they passed a law, a pretexting law, and you can't do that anymore. So a lot of guys now think you can't do any kind of asset searches. Uh, but all my asset searches are FCRA compliant, the Fair Credit Reporting Act uh, uh, compliant. Uh, and uh, so, and I, you know, I'm I'm like an old-fashioned kind of guy. I got my own sources. I don't use a lot of databases like these young guys do today. Um, so I have a lot of sources where I can get this information. It's very uh, old-fashioned Brooklyn of you. In a lot of ways, yeah. You, you know, know a guy. Say, they say, well, how do you trace an email address, you know, with people that can use a fake email address and they can go to, you know. In the old days, we used to trace back guys on their beepers. We would, well, we had a beeper number. We would find those guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So you can do it. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so you do a lot of uh, handling of, of cheating cases. Yeah. Is it, is it normally true or are people just uh, untrusting other partners? Both. Uh, you can uh, – a lot of the clients, they go straight to the website. They'll place an order without actually talking to me. And a lot of other investigators will use my services because they know me. They've known me for years. So they'll just place an order on the website. Yeah. But uh, clients, civilian clients, when I talk to them on the phone, I could tell in five minutes whether there's something really going on. Or they're just uh, one of these insane, paranoid, obsessive people that are just dreaming things up. Right. You know, talking about for, uh, digital forensics and that kind of stuff, can you easily find just someone browsing like, oh, you know, like this guy is totally into some weird porn or something like that? Let me tell you, yeah. Let me tell you something, man. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> See, because by the way, too, the, the dating service search also searches porn sites. We could find them on porn sites as well and escort service sites. Okay. Okay, now the escort service thing, I got a total niche in that because I had a big case years ago that it was involved with a big blackmail case uh, that I was able to track down and identify all these people involved with these escort services. So I, I have a personal uh, history in doing that. Uh, so that's how I, I'm able to include that and, um, and the porn sites. Now, one of the things too, again, with that dating service search is we can use that in a child custody case litigation in court, family court. Uh, I trace them back. We find them on those weird – Porn sites, just like you said, you know, or you find some good evidence going back and forth with the, uh, I'm 420 friendly, I'm into this, you know, I'm into that on, on these, you know, vanilla type dating sites. And, or you find them on altfetish.com, altbondage, you know, gay.com, you find them. <laughs> and you, you find about 5 or 6% of these guys are on gay websites. Interesting. Yeah. Probably don't uh, – well, I guess you probably do, but most people wouldn't expect that to come across. But In the beginning, I did not expect it to come across. I'll tell you one right off the bat. Uh, there was one, uh, and the woman's email address was something like, you know, uh, Mama Bear to five babies, you know. <laughs> had five kids. And uh, so I found her husband. Her husband was a truck driver, and I found him on gay.com. 
And she called me up. She was so pissed off. She says, no way. I, we have five kids. <laughs> we have KDPK. You're making this up. So I got all mad. And I said, oh, really? Okay. So I went and I found his ad. And there's a picture of the guy. He's sitting there naked in a baseball cap looking at his uh, webcam. And he, I don't know, it gets a little nasty. <laughs> he's bragging about certain parts of his body are very tight. <laughs> sure, I would imagine. You know, very, very inviting to certain activities. <laughs> So I print all this out. I get her on the phone. I says, look, there's the evidence. There it is. Look, you're calling me a liar. And not realizing, you know, I just devastated this woman. Right. Just think, you know, I devastated this woman, man. But I, and so now I'm a little bit more careful about, uh, you know, you got to, that's a whole other thing too, because you got to be careful with these clients because you never know what's going on over there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, does that get hard at all? You know, they say, hey, I want you to find this out. You find out it's true. And is there a little bit of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, is a little bit of like bro code? Like you don't want to rat oh, these guys no, out? Not at all. No, no, not that at all. I No, not that. But uh, some, you want, sometimes you'll get a guy that says, well, I want you to locate somebody for me. And it's okay, fine. You know, what do you got on them? What do you know? Uh, so they give you the information and you're, 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 you're working on it, you know? And right. now they tell you, well, as soon as I find this guy, I'm going to break his neck. <laughs> well, you know what? The case is over, man. Right. <laughs> I can't do that for you. <laughs> you know, I can't find it for you now. It's over. Do you have to report him at that point, or you don't have to? Sometimes you you, you might want to. Also, too, is um, and that's uh, with these cyber stalking cases, because uh, you know we're tracing emails back and forth in online defamation cases. A lot of times, someone will come to you and they'll say, "Oh yeah, I'm being cyber stalked." And then as you start looking into the case, they're really the ones doing the stalking. They're, they're just a troublemaker and there's a lot of back and forth. If you have a problem online with somebody, you really want to de-escalate. You don't want to get down into the dirt with them arguing back and forth or, or stalking back or online defamation going back and forth doing that stuff. Because if it does get to the cops or it gets to me, it, it, looks, it looks like mutual combat and nobody's going to want to deal with it. Half of my stuff, okay, I started out in defense investigator working defense cases mm-hmm. uh now a lot of times is you got a client who is a victim of a crime and, and they can't get the cops to do anything so now i gotta try and cajole these cops and get the cops on record that to, to get them to to take steps to help the client so you make my job harder if you're going back and forth fighting with somebody you know like an idiot looking like a stupid you know fool you know now i can't help you so will you find evidence and then go to the cops and say look i have x y and z you need to take this case You'll find evidence. <laughs> I was talking about, you know, here's the, here's the smoking gun. Here's the blood on the gun. Here's the, here's the trail. You know, and you try and hand to these cops, and they will try and make every excuse not to prosecute. You really got to get their name. Then you have to get them on record. You have to send, it to, you have to send an affidavit to them, an affidavit and complaint for them. You know, and sometimes even you got to pass the cops. You go straight to the DA's office because even the cops still won't do it. Right. So, but there's there's certain little steps you can take to get them on record to get a guy's name signing for this document uh, that he's now he's on the hook. That if any happens after this, we can go back after him. So there's there's steps you can take to to force them to do their job. What about tracing someone's cell phone to like find out their location? That can be done. Uh, that can be done. That's scary. Yeah. Well, oh, well, let me tell you. They used to have this great report we could do. Um, oh boy, I guess it was about uh, around two thousand. 2007, 2008, um, the old iPhones, if you had one of these old iPhones, like the iPhone 3 and before, right. uh, you can get a location tracking report out of that phone where you would pick up every single um, Wi-Fi hotspot uh, and every time it, it hooked onto a tower and com- in combination and then use it in sync with Google Earth and see everywhere this guy went for a two-year period. Wow, that's scary. Oh, well, that it was so scary that the iPhone put a little patch in there. We couldn't do it anymore. There's other ways to find phones, though. You can ping a cell phone. If there's GPS on the phone, you could find that phone within seven feet. And if there's no GPS, you can find it within uh, 700 yards. Well, that's, that's just going off the cell towers? Yeah. Wow, that's pretty crazy. You know, that made me think of something. You're talking about the old iPhones, and they've now patched that. Um, the San Bernardino case with the, yeah. the, with the terrorist and Apple not wanting to unlock the phones. I mean, is this something... First of all, what what side of the fence are you on, the FBI side or the Apple side? Well, you know what? You're going to have to explain to me, man, because that, the whole story makes no sense. First of all, I've been unlocking iPhones my whole life. Okay, since <laughs> when I first came along, I've been unlocking iPhones. 
A couple of things, right? And first of all, there's all kinds of free software. There's a whole other annoying thing going on out there on the internet. It's because there's all these free softwares where you can unlock locked iPhones. Okay. Say, well, what's going on here? Look, it's right here. It's free. You can unlock an iPhone. I mean, anybody can do it for free. They got free software. But what, you can unlock an iPhone, but you lose all the data on the phone. Well, okay? sure. We want to unlock the iPhone and keep the data. Now, on just about every operating system, I say going back six months ago, eight months ago, a year ago, uh, you can unlock an iPhone and keep the data. Okay. If when you, it's a brute force, you know, you combination of passwords to unlock the iPhone. Okay. Now, what happens is this: if I hand you an iPhone right now and you put in the passcode in there incorrectly ten times in a row, the phone red locks. It locks up. You know, the old expression was red lock. Right. Not what these kids today call it, but that's what we used to call it five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what do you call it? The phone rental. So now you've, you've lost. You cannot get into that phone. And if you break the pet, if you unlock it now, you lost all the data. Okay. Now the FBI knows this. And by the way, too, there's no magic secret software. We're all using the same stuff, man. Okay. There's no magic secret software out there that someone else has that we don't have. And even still, I even, when I was working on that Sarah Palin case, um, I needed a, a, a beta patch. On a piece of software, I had it before the CIA and, and FBI had it. <laughs> okay. Wow! Yeah, because you know what? Because these guys love talking to me because they got these exciting stories. All these other cases are all boring. <laughs> all the fun ones, man. <laughs> but now, yeah, okay, back to the iPhone with the, the San Bernardino nonsense. It's insane. Now, for some reason, that all the FBI had to do when they had this phone, okay? Because what I'm, my understanding is is that the FBI made the attempts on this phone and and locked red locked the phone themselves. Okay, that, that's what Apple's saying that they did. Now, it's possible that the, the so-called terrorists, that they did it, okay? They might be the ones who redlocked it. I sure. don't know. Now, the thing is, all the FBI had to do was is keep the phone, contact Celebrite, which is the, 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 one of the best products out there right now. It's a $10,000 software product that unlocks iPhones, and it's the one they use. And they say, well, listen, we need you guys to, to, to work on this operating system. We'll pay you $10,000 a week to, to work on this and, and do it for us and, and create this patch that we can – Unlock this phone. So, because what the software does is it sends a little file up to the phone first that tells the phone, hey, don't red lock, you know, after, and so we can do uh, unlimited combinations. And then uh, it takes like three hours to unlock the phone and you keep all the data. Now, whatever happened there, and even I, I understand that even um, iPhone, Apple is saying that, well, they locked the phone. They should have came to us before this and we could have helped them, which is true, you know? So, what's going on there for real? I don't know. But it's really, and I'm reading all the articles, like at Forensics Magazine, stuff like that. So I don't know, and we're all talking about this behind the scenes. No one can really figure out what's going on here, uh, what route this is taking, and, and what's behind it. Interesting. So, assuming uh, the the phone is redlocked, Apple could have just very easily, like, yeah, we got this, no problem. No, no, because even Apple can't do that. Once it's redlocked, you, you're done. No, I mean, if if it wasn't redlocked, I'm sorry. If sorry. it wasn't redlocked, yeah, because they're, they're they're doing these, uh, they come up with new licensing upgrades all the time. You know, and so the, Apple comes up with a new operating system. We all need to update our software. So we, we get an update patch. You know, when you update, now you can get into these phones. So the FBI so screwed up somewhere. Here? I don't know. It's crazy. Someone screwed up somewhere, that's for sure. I don't know if it's screwed up or they're trying to pass some kind of laws for some kind of precedent, you know, to force companies to create backdoors for them so they don't have to pay the vendors. I don't, I don't know. It, it does seem like that. Because you would think at the very least, uh, you mentioned the company that for $10,000 a week, they could do it. I mean, yeah. it's the FBI. You think they'd have this kind of access. Well, you got to remember too. Like I said, you know, th- th- there are certain proprietary softwares that the FBI and <laughs> the police use, and TA, but everyone has them. You know, <laughs> they're floating around everywhere. Everybody got that stuff. You know, they have nothing. We're the ones with the, the you know the, the vendors are the ones with the newest stuff, and they, they and they buy from all the vendors. And then then too, then there's all kind of political corruption with the you know payoffs that they want. You know, certain, only certain vendors get the the contracts. You know, for for the FBI and the DHS and stuff, and it's. Sort of, Skull Uggery. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I just feel like a 13 year old kid could have probably hacked it. Uh, you, need to, you know what? Like I said before, too, we were talking before about um, uh, Ashley Madison right. and Sony. Everyone thinks that's a hack, you know, when it's hacking, you know. But it's, it's really intelligence. You get, you get into intel people in there, you know, and they, they feed you the information. Uh, so. Could a 13-year-old kid hack into an iPhone? Not really. These 13-year-old kids, and even I, I don't want to say because they're such a pain in the butt, <laughs> but, but these big giant uh, groups who claim that they do all these big hacking organizations, you know, uh, that's basically all Intel stuff too. Like this group just came out with Donald Trump's uh, social security number and they right. broke it to his – yeah, right. That's all pers- – there's no hacking involved in that. 
Now that's all um, they got that stuff from because they work for TRW, they work for the credit bureaus, and they work. For, they have access to these databases. They're not doing anything impressive. They just make it sound cooler than it really is. Yeah, but they can do those DDoS uh, denial of service, which is a real pain in the butt. Yeah, and I, I like my my websites to work, so <laughs> you know, I don't want to mention any names. Understood. Uh, me too. Uh, last question for you. Yeah, actually, two more questions. Um, what or she not what? But do you look into uh, catfish cases? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I got one right now, and that's pathetic too, man. Because it's so obvious, you know. I've never run into a catfish case where the guy wasn't uh, faking it, you know. Right. I mean, you watch the show, and it just from from moment number two, it just seems like this is clearly a, a fake thing. Well, the show is one hundred percent scripted. I, I, I'm on websites where they cast for that show. Really? Yeah, and I contacted them way, way in the beginning, saying, "Hey, you know, uh, use my." I'm 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 on the cutting edge of you know let me say I'm on the cutting edge of tracing emails to dating sites right you know and uh, they didn't, they said oh, you know we don't need it we got our own stuff going and now they got all product placement in there with these nonsense these companies uh, one of the companies they got on there actually if you Google my name their their website comes up oh really yep interesting yep that's funny all right I know. <laughs> so, so you're doing the legit catfish cases yeah yeah and so I mean are you just you know, on the show, we see like, oh, we go to this person's Facebook, we go to this person's MySpace, and we try and confirm that it's really him. I mean, what, what does it entail for somebody doing the, the real catfishing stuff? Yeah, right. A lot of the stuff they're doing on there is total nonsense. You know, if you got the guy's email address, uh, there's certain little steps you, you take. MySpace is sure you do that too. And even too, there's a whole thing about uh, if you Google how to trace an email, you know, online, if you Google that, you'll see all these people telling you, well, first you open up the email header and you get the IP address and then you use this tool and you trace it back to the ISP. That's all nonsense. That, does, that doesn't help the average person at all. You, know, you need a years and years and years of sources at these ISPs and at big companies, okay, that everyone's logging into all the time. Like Greg Jones logs into uh, websites like uh, Craigslist or Amazon.com mm-hmm. or PayPal or, or you know, your classmates.com. You know, you've been logging into these things your whole life, right? Right. right? Yeah. Now, if I have a friend who works over there, I give him your IP. Then give him this mysterious IP address. This is oh yeah, it's being logged in over there at this address here. Good old Craig uh, uh, Jones is logging in. That's how you do this stuff in real life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Man? Yeah, that's not at all what the show tells us. <laughs> no, they can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know how to do it. But, but then also too, then you know, if you got a name, the guy's giving you a name. You look it up in the real databases, and you know, you can get everything on him where he works. His social security number, everything. All right, so so my last question for you kind of pertains to all this is what is the best way to protect yourself online? Uh, that's a good question. You know, one thing is is don't escalate problems. You know, if you got a problem with someone, don't even tell them, "Hey, you're crazy." You know, just right away, just leave. Um, if you really got a real problem with a stalker out there, right away people want to start reporting them and getting their accounts shut down you kind of want to preserve that information before you go down those roads too as well you want to preserve all the information the the, the stalking and harassment against you but you don't want to engage them going back and forth let me tell you something i've seen a lot of cases they start off simple and they turn into year long years and years and years okay where i had a guy down in florida and he was contacting his woman every single day telling her what her kids were wearing to school as they were walking to school and these were little kids And we had him. We got it. We got. It. I got him today. Name, address, phone number, social security. I got everything about him. The cops say it's not a crime. He could do that. He's allowed to do that. What? So yeah, I know, man. But there was more involved too because he was also donating money to the sheriff's department. Oh. But now, don't get people money online. Okay, don't trust people online. If you're going to be going on Craigslist and these dating websites and stuff like that, use create a separate email address for that kind of stuff. That just for that activity. Don't use your Department of Homeland Security.gov website <laughs> email address because it's gonna, I'm going to find it and it's going to query it for both of us. <laughs> you do me a favor, you know? So, uh, so uh, stay safe, you know. Um, but that's pretty much it, you know. Just keep your nose clean. Stay out of trouble. Yeah, stay out of trouble. You won't be in trouble. Right. That kind of thing. That makes total sense. Yeah. All right. So, uh, thank you so much. Uh, if you guys want to find out the Opera or find the Opperman Report, it's on iTunes. Just search Opperman Report. It's also at OppermanReport.com. And uh, like we said at the top of the show, at Opperman Report on Twitter. All brand new Twitter stuff. Go check it out. Uh, and you can get more of Ed's services at EmailRevealer.com. Uh, Ed, thank you so much. This was 
this was a lot more fun. I don't want to make this sound rude. This is a lot more fun than I thought it'd be. I, I had no idea where this would go, and it's been a lot of fun. You're, yeah, you're a great interviewer. You're very, very good. Oh, well, thank you very much, and yeah. uh, thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks again to Ed. Like I said, if you want to get his podcast, it's on iTunes or go to OppermanReport.com. Don't forget to tweet at him. Let him know you found him here. If you need any services that Mr. Opperman offers, you can go to EmailRevealer.com. That's where you can find him. He's got a list of services and prices, and, and I was perusing his website. It's quite interesting, all the things he offers. and We talked about some of the stuff, the catfishing, the, the cheating spouses and whatnot. So check it out. Even just browse it and see, uh, see what he does. It's, it's quite interesting. Like I told himself the show, how fun to do that uh, when I was a kid, I want to be a detective thing. That's, that's a really fun job. And I'd love to just follow this guy to, you know, around work for a day as long as he wasn't in any trouble with the you know, secret service or anything. So anyways, thanks again to Ed. Thank you guys for listening to the show. Don't forget, I want to know show.com. You click on the guest link, you can find everything you need on whatever guests you want to find out about. Just like Ed Opperman, I'll have the link to the Opperman Report and uh, everything else. Don't forget to like the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash I want to know show. Twitter at I Want to Know Show. The podcast is finally on Instagram at I Want to Know Show. And don't forget to send an email, I Want to Know Pod at gmail.com. So thanks again to you guys for listening and telling a friend. Keep it going. And on that note, good night, everybody. Good night.